Hello and welcome to Handelsbank and Insights. I'm Daniel Marnie. On today's episode, we'll be reviewing last week's data releases. We will also look at productivity trends and we will conclude by looking at the FTSE 100, which has just gone above its all-time record of 8,000. I'm delighted to be joined by James Sprawl, Handelsbank and UK's Chief Economist. So James, last week we had both labour market and inflation data. The Bank of England obviously published its February report a couple of weeks ago, which suggested uh, positive signs with respect to those two metrics. What did the data release say last week? So first of all, if you look at unemployment, uh, it actually just tracked sideways at 3.7%. So um, really, really very, very low. And actually, I think it's one of the really good things that's in the UK economy right now. That number has not gone up. If unemployment were going up very, very strongly, we would look at weakening consumer demand and and lots of reasons for it. Now, we have lots of reasons for weakening consumer demand, everything from inflation to higher interest rates to to rising taxes. But we don't have lots of people really losing their jobs. And that does mean that the the recession that we're looking at is going to be shallower. And, And really, to make it much deeper, you would have to see people not just losing their jobs and therefore their spending ability, but also being nervous about losing their jobs. Many people, of course, aren't particularly nervous about losing their jobs. And that's justifiable because the unemployment rate is not going up particularly. Uh, if we look at the wage rates, what's going on with all, the, all of that, what we've seen over the last few months has been that nominal wages, i.e. with inflation included, have continued to be around over 6%. That's continuing. We saw a flash estimate that said it was going to drop away, didn't actually come through in the final data. And so we've seen real wages continue to languish at, at sort of minus 25 Now, our expectation remains that we see inflation falling away over the first half of this year, and we see those wages not falling away as quickly, and therefore we will get a positive boost to it, to uh, people's salaries as time goes on. But we're not there yet, and that may be one of the signs that we get from some sort of uh, bigger consumer recovery. On the inflation side, actually it was, it was sort of good. We had uh, consensus expectations, and inflation came in a little bit under them. So um, it is, the inflation quite clearly is falling away in all of this. But, and we're looking at the various components of inflation, of course, it's, it's largely the energy side of things, which is falling away. When we look at service sector inflation, we see it remaining high. And of course, that's largely people's wages. And if we look even more deeply into which bits of the, the economy are not seeing that inflationary, or not seeing inflation fall away, if we look for uh, something like restaurants and hotels, where we know that there's been a real shortage of people working in that sector, we can still see that the costs there are rising. And that's not a surprise. It just sort of confirms the way in which we're looking at the economy and what we're thinking is going to be happening on there on, on all of that. So we do think inflation is going to fall away quite a lot over the first half of this year, but it's probably going to have a lot more difficulty falling from uh, 4% to its target level of two, then it's going to have falling from its present level, just over 10% to that 4%. So the first part, quick fall. The second part, less quick fall, a lot stickier. The, the sticky inflation is going to be getting those, those wage rises down, and that's going to be into the end of this year, beginning of next year. So it sounds like inflation is very firmly on a downward path. That's obviously very welcome. But what does that mean in terms of what people see in the shops? Will people see lower prices in the shops, for example? One of the, the, the areas which we see a very, very quick repricing is, for instance, in petrol. So when you, you're in the forecourt, you can watch it go from you know, one, one pound 70 a litre, it goes to 160, 150, and remember way back, way back when, a year or so goes down at a pound a litre if you, were, if you were particularly keen. So that price does move around. You do see actual real costs, falls in costs. Other costs, much stickier. So when are people going to see that the prices drop away? Well, uh, I think it really depends upon 
what you're looking at. Are you going to see the price of your restaurant meal fall away? Probably not particularly quickly. You know, they're paying their waiters and waitresses and the cooks, and those, those people are harder to, to recruit, and therefore the price remains high. But are we going to see, for instance, some of the prices of, of clothing falling away? bit more questionable there. Some of the longer-term trends also are going to be important. One of them has been, over the last 30 or so years, we've seen enormous amounts of clothing, the manufacturing of that clothing, shifting out to low-cost centers. Now there is a feeling that we'd like to not shut down production in China, but certainly balance it out with, with more production in a wider range of places. And that will mean that we don't get the disinflationary effect that we've had in some sectors, particularly, as I say, clothing, that we've all enjoyed over the last 20, 30 years. And in future, best, we can hope for things to remain where they are, but we're not going to see um, big improvements in either productivity for those places or, in fact, lower-cost workers being used to manufacture that clothing. So, James, from what you're saying, it sounds as though when products or services are reliant on lots of labour and high labour costs, that could feed through to prices. Um, Now, of course, we want to see higher wages, and one of the ways uh, that you can see higher wages without it being inflationary is by boosting productivity. Now, I know you've been looking at productivity trends. There are various ways you can measure it. Can you just tell us what's happened in the UK and the G7 since the financial crisis? Yes, so productivity is one of those things which lots of economists look at, and they they point out very rightly that you cannot really have sustainable uh, rises to prosperity and to, to people's incomes unless you get a commensurate rise in productivity. And here's the problem. First of all, Productivity is a concept, of course, comes from really was developed in the 1930s when uh, the economies in this country, but across Europe and America, etc., were very, very different. And it was much easier to count in both the amount of input, whether that be in terms of you know the steel or the, the glass or the, the foods or whatever, as well as then the, the labor income and uh, the investment and then the final output. Today, with more of our Um, goods and services dependent upon an intellectual input, it's much more difficult to capture productivity full stop. It's just a more difficult thing to measure full stop. And there are multiple ways to measure productivity. Sometimes people look at overall productivity, what what went into the economy, what came out. They can look at it by per hour. Um, But how many of us have thought of, you know, a great idea for work in our time off? Well, you know, it could come to you as you're taking a shower in the morning, as you're walking your dog in the evening, whatever else. So, again, um, just using it on a per-hour basis is sometimes uh, introduces lots of errors. We can look at it on a per-worker basis, which is what, what I was doing last week and crunching some numbers on all of that. Uh, what we can see in the UK has been that um, we've seen uh, productivity really languishing since the global financial crisis for, here in the country, country as a whole. A lot of that comes down to the fact that Financial services have been, continue to be very, very important to the UK economy. And during the global financial crisis and, and the subsequent, uh, in the aftermath of that, we introduced a, a fair number of new regulations. Now, some of these were extremely useful and really, really good and, and needed to be there. And some of them also just stopped up the productivity increases that we were seeing in financial services overall. And so we've seen UK productivity falling away. Um, we've also seen there's a bit of a demographic issue here. And that demographic issue, of course, is not just the UK, but across all of Europe. And an older population is tends to be a little bit less productive in, in terms of productivity growth that you get in comparison to the younger population. And so we've seen a bit of languishing there. But looking at the numbers, we can see in general terms, it's the US is the most product, productive. And Typically, France and Germany are a bit more productive than the UK, and the UK sits sort of alongside Italy and Canada. But what I also was looking at is what's been the trend over the last few years. 
And, you know, whilst the U.S. has clearly been the winner, there's been lots of entrepreneurialism, lots of, of growth of new types of companies, which Europe has not enjoyed. The general trend has been that the U.K. has been at least as good as many other European countries, not just Italy, which has got some some own particular problems, but alongside Germany and France as well. Uh, we may have started from a slightly lower base, but actually the year-on-year the -year productivity growth uh, over the last 20 years has been pretty much in line with, with the rest of them. So I'm not particularly worried about productivity tweaks that happen on a quarter-by-quarter -quarter basis. Looking at the longer-term trends, I think there's some, some things here. We are undoubtedly could do more, um, and we would undoubtedly like to have more of that entrepreneurialism and agility that, that leads to longer-term productivity growth. But I think to focus on that and say the UK is in some way a uniquely bad position just really isn't stacked up by the data. And I suppose there are some trade-offs here. You mentioned that productivity is better in France, but of course they have a much higher unemployment rate there than here. So there's, there are some trade-offs, presumably. That's absolutely right. One of the other things, of course, is that the French, and they're struggling with this right now, is to raise their, their retirement age. Um, but they do have a situation in which many of the older workers do retire a bit earlier. And, and as I say, oftentimes they don't see quite the same growth. And so that will, that will flatter the French productivity figures overall. Okay. And working from home, how does that play into the productivity argument? Well, we've seen survey data, and that's not tied to the productivity data per se, but we've seen survey data from people saying, I am just as productive working from home as I would be. Um, and, you know, to, to, to the, the famous quote, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? It's unusual for people to, to admit that they would be less productive. But looking at the data coming through and all of that, we can see that working from home is very definitely a preserve largely of, of affluent. Um, we can see they generally have high, higher levels, levels of education. And it's, um, it's concentrated in certain sectors. One of those sectors has been sort of advanced administrative grades. Are they as productive? The data is looking a little bit more dodgy on that. And we've seen some of the, the, the levels of productivity not really advancing as much as you might expect on that particular score. So far too early to make any uh, definitive conclusions. Interesting. So certainly one to keep an eye on. So, James, just to conclude on the FTSE 100, above 8,000, so above its uh, peak level, this seems strange. In a higher interest rate environment, you would expect equities to be seeing a correction. So why are we seeing this record level in the FTSE 100? There's a lot of things here. So if we just think back to what is uh, what constitutes a share price, a share price really is, is two things. It's a collection looking forward and saying, I'm going to be buying today a whole income stream uh, for the future. So there's one thing is, how is that corporation doing? Are they selling more stuff? Are they selling more of their services? And therefore, uh, I've got this this whole thing. And I'm going to bring it forward to, to today and say, I'm buying that stream. And um, what multiple am I going to pay on top of that to buy that income stream? So there's two elements to it. And if we look at the, the FTSE 100, we look at the FTSE 100, we look at the FTSE All Share. And right now, what is happening? Well, corporations have seen uh, a big amount of discounting of what they think is their corporate earnings. And from here on in, and remember, the stock market anticipates it. It doesn't look at what's happening now. It's looking at what they think is going to be happening in the next couple of years. And they're anticipating things are going to get better. And so that's the first element of it. Then they ask themselves, should I be paying more? You know, should I be paying six, seven, eight, ten times my earnings? And the answer has been, for a while, they've been paying less. And now they're starting to think, well, maybe I need to pay more for those future earnings. So there's, there's two elements that are starting to work in, in tandem. And as I say, they are looking out a couple of years. So that's one element. It's also useful to look at the FTSE versus other stock markets. And, of course, the UK stock market is full of companies which are historically good at generating cash. So that's pharmaceuticals, that's banks, 
that's uh, oil and energy companies, it's so, those sorts of places. These are not sectors which see huge growth, but they are sectors which see lots of income. So big, big on revenues. And at a time we've just been through where people are pricing in sort of a, a retracement in the economies, uh, cash is king. And so now what we're looking for, looking out to the next couple of years, people are starting to say, oh, right, I still like cash, of course, but I'm willing to look further in the future. I'm willing to look for more growth. And when they look to more growth, they end up looking at things like more into tech stocks. Now, I'm not a stock picker, um, but certainly one of the things that's helped the FTSE over the last year has been that real focus on cash. And uh, we are going to be inviting our colleagues from Handelsbank Wealth and Asset Management to come on and explain things like what's going on in terms of what, you know, investors' expectations over the next couple of years as well. So there's been a, a set of circumstances which have really benefited the FTSE 100 over the last couple of years. And I think you know, as the economy recovers, a new set of expectations are going to come there. And of course, different valuations as a result. James, thanks so much for those insights. And if you've liked what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on the app where you're listening because it helps other people find us. And you may also want to share this episode on social media. We look forward to seeing you next week. 